Welcome to Messages from the Middle. I'm Wendy Parrish. This is episode number 13, There and Back Again. In this episode, I'll share with you my experience spending time in a residential treatment center. So let's get into the episode. Have you noticed that people don't usually share their struggles until they're over? It's not until they've defeated their dragon and marched victoriously home that they share their story. Well, I'm not one of those people. My name is Wendy Parrish, and I am in the middle of my story. From the middle, I've learned a few things, and I would like to bring you into my story. This is the good, the struggle, the light, the dark, and the lessons learned. This is Messages from the Middle. Hello and welcome to the episode. This is episode number 13. And I've titled this one There and Back Again. And I'll be talking about the time that I spent in a residential treatment center in the summer of last year. Before we get started, I just want to put out a little reminder to leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And really more than anything, just share, spread the news, tell people about the podcast because it's really important to me to get the word out so that we can talk more openly about mental health without there being a stigma around it. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to address this topic today. By the time this episode goes live, it will be exactly one year since I entered the residential treatment center. And I wanna talk about my time in treatment, why I went in and what it was like. This is a big one for me. Letting the world know that I had taken such a big step for my mental health was a little bit scary, but really more than anything, it was liberating. I'm so glad to have it out in the open. It's like this huge part of my life has been kept secret and is something that I can't really talk about, but I want to talk about it. You should know I have no issues talking about it or my mental health, really. If you see me in real life, don't feel like you have to avoid the subject. I'm a pretty open book. And I'll answer questions and I'm happy to talk about it. I know that there are certain things that are going to, I'm going to keep for myself and just for me and my family, but I'm happy to answer questions that most people would be willing to ask. And if it's something I don't want to answer, I'll probably just make something up. <laughs> just kidding. I'll just say that's something that I'm not ready to talk about. But in general, I'm a pretty much an open book about the subject. There's a few things I'm not open about. Um, I won't be naming the facility. I had a very positive experience there. However, there were some negative moments and I don't want to disparage the facility in any way. And I'm also not going to name any of the names of the other clients that were there in the treatment center with me. The first question that no one has ever really asked me, but that I want to answer is about the cost paying for it. So here's the coolest thing. Most insurance companies cover residential treatment. I'd been thinking that I'd needed something more intense than my weekly therapy sessions for a while leading up to the time that I went in. But I didn't think it was possible due to the cost. All I ever really knew about were celebrities who went to a place for multiple six figures, so I figured it just wasn't available to regular people. However, months into my mental health decline, we knew that something needed to be done. So I started looking for places and sending out messages. 
When I got on the phone with the facilitators, I was informed that insurance more than likely would pay. I couldn't believe it. I'd had no idea that this was possible. I think that the number one message that I do want to share today is if you feel really stuck in your mental health and this is something that you think would benefit you, I want you to know that if you have insurance, there are options open to you and they're really good options. The next question I get asked, and I have been asked this one is why? Why did I choose residential treatment? At my darkest time, during the darkest time, kind of before I went in, I remember listening to a Huberman Lab podcast. Um, He was interviewing a man and they were talking about trauma and different treatments for trauma. In this episode, the guest talked about how the most effective way to treat trauma and complicated mental health issues is to make it a a 40-hour-a-week job, basically. Those weren't exactly his words, but that's what I took from what he'd said. This really stuck out to me. I wasn't getting better despite all of our efforts. In fact, I was getting worse. After hearing that, the idea of full-time treatment stuck with me. So I started doing deeper research on places where I could go within driving distance of where I live. I'm not exactly sure what caused my mental health decline at the time. One of my suspicions is that I was on the wrong medication. Even more, I had transitioned medications about six months earlier, and that transition put me into a really dark place. And the medication that I transitioned onto wasn't the right medication, so I never really fixed my brain, chemically speaking. At this point, I'd been on a few different medications and had received conflicting advice on medication as well. I'd been diagnosed with ADHD and was told by treating the ADHD, the depression and anxiety would get better. Then by another provider, I was told that by taking my SNRI, that would treat the depression and anxiety and then the ADHD would get better. Neither appeared to be true. In fact, I think my deep depression and high anxiety levels made it so my ADHD was out of control. And I found it was really hard to take my ADHD medication because I had to fast a large portion of the day so the medication would work more effectively. And that part was really hard for me because being hungry creates anxiety in me. I don't know if that's a sciencey thing or just something that I need to work with in my own brain. When we got on the phone with the woman that ran the facility that I ended up going to, she had talked about how they do the genetic testing and that my medication would be managed by a psychiatrist and nurses. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. I was somewhere between believing I was so broken, nothing would work and hoping that there was something out there that would help my brain work the way that I needed it to so that I could do the work to heal. Another thing that I'm suspicious led to my mental health decline, and I want to caveat this by saying I do really believe in EMDR, but at that time for me, EMDR was not the right move, and it put me in a pretty dark place. You know that I believe that EMDR has a place in the treatment of PTSD and other issues for mental health, but the timing wasn't good for me. It's really hard for me to explain, but basically, I feel like it was that my 
core beliefs that I'm broken, I don't deserve to heal, all of that very negative self-talk that was really deep, deep within me wouldn't let me reprocess what needed to be reprocessed through the EMDR. Basically, I didn't believe that I was worthy of healing. And so as she took me through these memories to try to reprocess them, instead of moving through and pattern interrupting and reprocessing, I would stay stuck for the entire day or days. I would come home from a session and go to sleep for the entire day. And honestly, all I remember from those days is just darkness. It was just dark. And again, when we spoke to the facilitator from where I ended up going, we talked to her about my experience with EMDR and she had explained that I wasn't ready. I needed to build up stronger core beliefs and coping before I could start reprocessing. And that's exactly what we did in treatment. And this started on day one. The very first thing I did on day one is something called vision. For vision, we would have a piece of paper that we would write down our emotional state and our goals for the day, then five things we were grateful for and five affirmations that we would then speak this whole list out loud to the group. And on day one, that was total strangers. This was so hard for me. I was able to find things to be grateful for, but the affirmations, no way. I didn't believe there was anything good about me. So how was I supposed to say in front of strangers, good things I believed about me? It was pretty much impossible. One of the girls there told me that if I couldn't get there, if I couldn't say I am enough, I could say, I believe I'm enough instead of I am, if that helps. And it kind of did. I just put I believe in front of a few things and said it out loud and was ready to move on. My very first assignment on day one was then to find 20 affirmations, write them down and work on them 20 times a day read them, write them, have them on the mirror. They were all over. To help out, I was given about three pages of affirmations to look at as a template. And I remember as I read through them, I thought, none of these. I can't say any of these and believe them. I knew this was going to be so hard. And it really was. But if you want to create real change, it's going to be hard. The therapist that I met with on the first day gave me this analogy. He talked about how when you have a broken bone, you set the bone, cast it, and let it heal. But if the bone doesn't heal correctly, what they do is re-break the bone, reset the bone, and cast the bone. He explained to me that that's what has happened with me, everybody there. They, everybody there had heard this speech. We had dealt with our challenges and hard things in life in the best way that we could, reset our brain, put it in a cast, but it wasn't correct. So now we needed to break our brain and reset. He'd say it a lot. He'd say, you've got to break your brain. You got to break your brain. So when you're breaking your brain, it's going to hurt just like re-breaking a bone to reset it hurts. There'll be a breakdown. It wasn't going to be easy. And I believed him. At least I thought that I did. But I was also pretty convinced that if I just showed up every morning early, took notes, read the books, did the homework, 
I would be a star student and get out of there in record time, all healed and ready to go. This was not the case. My star student mentality was actually the thing that held up my progress. I needed to go into each day humble, open, and willing to break so that I could reset my brain and heal correctly. I wanted to get better and get home fast so I would skip steps. For example, with those affirmations, I skipped the I believe step other than the first day. I thought, I'm just going to say I am and it will do the job. After my week three breakdown that I talked about in the last episode, I really was broken. I was humbled. I realized I needed to tear everything down and start to rebuild from the very bottom, if that makes sense. All of my affirmations changed that day. I started saying, I want to believe I am lovable. I want to believe I am enough. All my affirmations changed to, I want to believe. And they stayed that way until the week before I went home. There's a term in Buddhism called the beginner's mind. This is a mind fresh and awake to the many possibilities available. This is different from the mind we often bring to habitual activities or habitual ways of thinking or responding. The beginner's mind is an open mind. Think about when you start something brand new and you walk in and go, I don't even know what to expect. And so you just absorb every word that they say. That's what we need to do to approach healing mental health. Going in and saying, I mean, I know what to do. I just need to do it. Isn't going to help you. You need to go in and say, I don't even know what to do. Please help me. And then do the work from a place of a beginner's mind and humility. It was hard and it was hard to get there. And I noticed it took all of us a few weeks to get to the point where we were broken down and ready to rebuild correctly. So this is what the average day in treatment would look like. We woke up at 7 a.m., went and took our meds, they took vitals, and then we did chores. We had to clean our rooms and the bathrooms and a certain part of the house every day. And on Wednesdays, we did a deep clean of the whole house. And the ambitious mother that I am remembers thinking, I'm going to take this home with me. Every morning, my kids are going to wake up and do chores. And then once a week, we're going to break it down and we're going to wipe the baseboards and the walls and the doorknobs and I'll have the cleanest house ever. And it never happened. But it was a really good idea. Then after we did our chores, we'd have breakfast and then go into vision. So that's where we wrote everything down on the papers. And then we'd go around in the group and everybody would read it out loud to each other. Then we'd pile into the van and go to the gym. I was so excited when I found out that we got to go to the gym every day. Movement has always been really important to me and a really important part of my mental health. Then after the gym, it was shower real quick and go to group. Group went until lunch. Then we had an hour break. Then we went back into group until about five o'clock just before dinner. On weekdays, we even had a group after dinner, just about an hour long with a different therapist. And then after dinner and that group, we had a few hours. Usually in that time, we would do homework, assignments like writing or autobiography. I had to write a letter to my younger self. And I was also given some artsy assignments where I had to do two different drawings, one of my ideal and one of my reality. And that was 
actually super fun and a little secret. I actually have the painting of my reality framed and in my house in my entryway. We also got to have a 20 minute phone call to home and these 20 minute phone calls to home were monitored. It's probably the only thing that really felt like prison, but I understand it. For a lot of people, speaking to home interrupted their healing, and so it was better to just have 20 minutes to connect, check in, and move on. These 20-minute calls to home were made on their landline because we weren't allowed our phones. This was actually pretty great. It was nice to disconnect, but there were a few drawbacks. Like, we had to go back to using a dictionary to look up how to spell words and to learn definitions. And the biggest one for me was that I didn't have my own music or my precious Audible account. That was really rough. Not having my music was made even worse because the music that was played in the van as we traveled back and forth and in the gym was, I'll say, not my kind of music. Lucky for me, I had an MP3 player that had two albums on it. The Killer's Hot Fuss and The Hive's Black and White album. And I still love those two albums. Even after two months of only having them to listen to, I did a lot of running at the gym and they were great albums to get me running. Without my Audible account and with a lot of free time, I read so many books. Sure, I read books like The Four Agreements and Loving What Is and Living Untethered, but I also read a lot of Regency-era historical romances. I think I probably read around 15 books during that time. And they made me so happy. There are certain authors that have my heart because they were there for me during this very interesting time in my life. We only had individual therapy once a week, which was a huge surprise to me. I thought we would be in one-on-one therapy every single day. Instead, it was group therapy every single day. The reason for group therapy is because studies have shown that recovery happens better in a group therapy environment. This was news to me, but I have to say I agree. I found myself learning and growing more than ever as I was placed in vulnerable situations with the group. Then listening to people, sharing their insights, their struggles, their breakthroughs, and their growth, it was so valuable. With the variety of personalities and experiences, we were all able to give feedback and support each other and love each other and watch each other grow. It was pretty incredible to watch other people in the group learn and change and go from A to Z. In group therapy, the group can act as a support network and a sounding board. Other members of the group often help you come up with specific ideas for improving difficult situations or life challenges. We were all in different stages of our healing, and so we were all able to offer different advice, different suggestions, and different ways of advising and helping each other. A good example for me is there were two, I called them kids, 19 and 20 years old was how old they were, pretty much the age of my kids. And I was able to give them insight on what, basically what their parents were saying and what they were feeling, things that they wouldn't they weren't talking to their parents about or asking their parents about because it was uncomfortable or their parents didn't know what to say. And on the flip side of that, 
they were able to give me really great and helpful insight on me as a mom to my children and how I could be there for them and how my mental health and the struggles I was going through would help them. It was a really valuable relationship for me. The other thing about the group is they can hold you accountable along the way through your treatment. The facilitator would often say, Wendy said she was going to do this. Can you guys all make sure that she gets that done tonight? One of my assignments was to watch the movie Inside Out. And so everyone in the group made sure that we had a movie night and sat down and watched Inside Out. Regularly talking and listening to other people also helps you put your own problems in perspective. Many people experience mental health difficulties, but few speak openly about them to people they don't know very well. Oftentimes you may feel like you're the only one struggling, but you're not. It can be a relief to hear others discuss what they're going through and realize that you're not alone. And diversity is another really important benefit of group therapy. People have different personalities and backgrounds, and they look at situations in different ways. By seeing how other people tackle problems and make positive changes, you can discover a whole range of strategies for facing your own concerns. This was huge for me. Not one person in the group had the same background, experiences, and struggles. We really couldn't have been a more different group of people. We learned from our differences and were able to bond over the things we shared, which in this case was mental health. It's hard to describe how great it is to know that you can open up about your mental health struggles and everyone in the room has an understanding and compassion for what you're going through. And group therapy was intense. I had no idea how intense it would be and how deep the therapist dug into our lives. Every day, it felt like we were being asked the impossible, and yet somehow we all dove in, answered, and showed our vulnerability. Here's an example of things that we did in group. One day, we hiked to the top of the mountain. Keep in mind, this was July, and it was hot. Then we were invited to stand on the edge of the hillside and scream at the top of our lungs to represent retaking our voice that had been taken away from us through our mental illness from other people, all different experiences. We did cold water immersion therapy, which wasn't as cold as it should have been being July. Um, there was another group that made a huge impact on all of us. And it's really difficult to describe, but I'm gonna try. We were told to visualize that we were all on a cruise boat and the cruise boat was sinking and there was one lifeboat and we could choose three people to go on the lifeboat. The rest of us were not going to make it. So we were all told to give our reasons why we should be put on the lifeboat and then we all voted on who to put onto the lifeboat. You might find it interesting that the three youngest people were put on the lifeboat. All the parents in the room could not allow a child to not go home to their mom and dad. It was really surprising to see that that's how all of it went down. Then those of us that were not chosen to be on the lifeboat were told to write a letter and give it to the girls that were going to be on the lifeboat, write a letter to our families back at home. There were a lot of tears and a lot of emotion, especially as we each were asked to read the letter that we had written to our families back at home. 
This one was especially effective because it caused a lot of people in the group to examine what life would be like to say goodbye to our loved ones forever. For one girl in particular, it kicked in her survival instincts. She came up with all the reasons the rest of the world, the rest of us, were going to survive this shipwreck. She made a plan and she said, this is what we're going to do because we're all making it back. And then she added an important affirmation to her daily affirmations, which was, I am a shipwreck survivor. The groups were pretty amazing and we really, really learned a lot from each of these groups. We also met with a psychiatrist, an MD, once a week. He ran the genetic tests the very first week and the medications were changed, added or adapted based on those results. And as I shared before in my episode, the magical healing cordial, I believe is the episode that I named it. We were all on the wrong medication going in. And I loved the psychiatrist so much. He did so much more than just manage our medications. He was compassionate and wise. He had also been through his own recovery, so he was able to empathize with our struggles and give us really great and helpful advice. And he also wore really colorful, pretty awesome fits every time he came in. The very first time I went with him, he was wearing bright pink pants and a flamingo polo shirt with bright pink shoes. One of the most important things was how much treatment happened when the doctors and the therapists weren't there. Since it was summer, anytime we had free time, we were outside. There was a great spot for us to all sit around as a group and talk. Initially, I isolated. I spent my time alone reading or writing. I didn't realize that connecting with the group was part of the process. And I was also sure everyone hated me, which is my go-to assumption. So I kept my distance. Slowly, I started spending more and more time with the group, and this made all the difference. After a rough group session, like the shipwreck one, that had us all feeling very unanchored, we would sit around and talk about what had just happened, what we learned and how it affected us. We all had different experiences and we talked about all of it during our free time. We were able to help each other process our thoughts and what we were going through. There are a few people in this group I think of in particular that were so helpful to me. Like I told you, the two young people, the two young kids that really gave me great perspective on my own children and were just, it was just so comforting to be around those kids because they reminded me of my kids. And also, and I'm not quite sure what this says about me, they were the only ones who got my humor and my references. And there were other moms in there and we bonded over how hard it was leaving our kids and the importance of getting better so we could show up better for our children when we got home. Talking with the group in our free time, laughing and forming connections was a huge part of the process and incredibly helpful. I wanna say that I am very grateful to the people and the staff. Everyone was so caring, compassionate and kind and we did have fun. Every weekend, the staff would plan a different excursion for us, a different place for us to go. We would go hiking. We would find a lake and we'd go paddle boarding. We found some really fun things to do during our off time. And I was there over my birthday and they did a really great job at making me feel loved and included on my birthday. I know residential treatment is not for everyone, 
but I also don't believe that it should just be a last resort. And I don't believe that it should be something that's hidden or looked at as shameful. In fact, I believe it would be so amazing if everyone was able to take a break and focus on their mental health for a month. That's a gift I think that we could all use. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. I'm so grateful for you for listening. And I want you to know that you matter and you are loved no matter who you are or where you are in your story. Thank you so much and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining me in the middle of my story. My theme music is White Linen by Asher Child. He's my kid. You can find all of his amazing music on all streaming platforms. And you know, it just wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. But seriously, it would really mean so much to me if you did. Thank you so much and see you next time.